by Playfair Capital. Rethink the way you live and work. Hello and welcome to The Chess Pit, the podcast in which three guys talk about chess occasionally. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined as always by my good friend Chris Russell. Hello. And my other good friend, but not as always, it's a new guest onto The Chess Pit podcast, Robin Sarfas. Robin, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, excited to be here. So for those of you who don't know Robin, which I'm guessing is going to be most people, uh, Robin has actually made a number of appearances on the podcast uh, under the guise of the, the moniker, My Friend. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a few claims to fame. Robin, do you, want to, do you want to give us maybe your biggest claim to fame when it comes to the Chess Pit podcast? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I was, um, I've was i listened back to quite a few of the, uh, the, the Chess Pit episodes sort of recently. Um, and, and John talks a lot about his sort of like early dabbles at tournament chess. Um, there's a obviously his famous story where he made that 13 year old uh cry by nicking a draw off him um john i can't believe you've never mentioned the fact that you shook his hand for the draw and then took off your shirt and ran around the hall <laughs> <laughs> a little bit embarrassed about that now but you know you've just mentioned there that you have been a, a, a i guess a sort of long time listener of, of the podcast but you came at it deep into the um into the i i, I guess the, the the podcast's running uh life and you you've we've talked a little bit on this podcast about people who experience the podcast as a time capsule um where they start fairly late in but then go back and listen to the, the early episodes and you've sort of done that like listening from both ends of the, of the podcast right so what's your what's your experience of listening back to the podcast being like out of interest yeah, well, without getting into into too much of the meta, I mean, this is something Phil talked about, I think, a couple of weeks ago, which is that listening back onto it, obviously, it provides very much a time capsule for sort of the whole events of COVID and and and, and things like that. It's it's interesting that memories are very vivid. Again, we, we obviously talked about that tournament there, but I, most of the times, I think John has played chess. Uh, I've been playing on the board next to him in a sort of competitive setting. So there was a lot of those popping up. And then I remember sort of uh, him re- referring to events where I'd been sort of with him, just, you know, having a, a beer or something the day before. So it's quite interesting to go back and listen to it, uh, listen to it both as sort of a, a memorandum on, on, a, on, a, on, on sort of COVID and the year in general, but also one's own life when you're sort of involved in, in, in the host. So um, it's, it's nice to, to get on, to get on onto the show, actually. I've been slightly reluctant to listen back for that reason. The sort of I imagine our early COVID takes are wildly <laughs> inaccurate and uh, uncomfortable yeah. listening. There must be loads of things where we've got stuff just horribly wrong, and it just must, <laughs> it must just it must sound so awkward um, listening back. So yeah, I don't think I'll be doing that. But maybe we should do that. Maybe we should um, put ourselves through that misery. Well, we're coming up to our anniversary, right? So if we if we, if for that episode, maybe we could listen back. And do a sort of like highlights of the first uh, of the first episode, um, and just listen to like all of the things that like the the recording glitches and 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 the the lack of quality sound quality and stuff and the awkward silences between uh, us talking. It'd be quite interesting to do that because <laughs> I know in those first episodes like you and you and Phil didn't have like. Uh, the mics that you use now and stuff so it probably just sounds like we're recording in a tin can or something or you know in some kind of cave so it might be worth worth going back and and picking out the best bits from there we, we of course we may just go back and be like oh actually we were better then than we are now so yeah it's so. trailed off massively we should have <laughs> should have peaked after episode one and just called it off then mm. chris how are you doing we haven't talked about how, you, how you're doing i don't want you to feel left out here not too bad thanks no, no it's good. slightly strange having 
being introduced first in the running order at the start of the show like that threw me off immediately <laughs> and sort of the 15 seconds into the show i'm saying hello when phil should be and it's, it's just yeah it's too much for me i'm still kind of recovering from that for the benefit of the audience we've actually already had several takes of this, uh, this interesting <laughs> yeah, i've got it wrong about five times now <laughs> yeah how, how are you feeling without the your sort of because phil's basically your sidekick isn't he really that's very much how this works yeah (laughs) very much chris and phil and so how how are you feeling with the this strange experience of of having a a stranger on the other side of the mic yeah it's deeply uncomfortable i'm doing my best (laughs) but uh it's it's tough i think that's a me thing more than a lack of of (laughs) people i often people often say that I, I am a little bit worried about the lack of Phil because Phil does do so much for the podcast and um, he has given me sort of, it, you know you know when your mum goes away and like labels things in the freezer um, for you to eat, I have the podcast equivalent of a few of those where Phil's, <laughs> Phil's given me long instructions uh, of what to do and, um, and, and sent me long messages being like, now you do this and, and you, I, the quiz, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I am absolutely bubbling to see how the quiz goes because... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, he sent me about three different voice memos and a secret email, email with the answers in. So um, it's it's going to be a, an experience. So hopefully that will be um, as chaotic as it sounds. But one of the things that we do do every week is that I mentioned the, the dying tones of Spylaw. Now, Spylaw are the band who sing our theme tune. The lead singer of Spylaw is a man called Hugh. And Hugh has views. And this week's view from Hugh is... Taylor Swift's most recent album kind of felt like she just recorded the one before that again which is fine i guess taylor swift i have no takes on taylor swift so i'm hoping that you two are massive taylor swift swift fans so that we have something to talk about here yeah i mean i don't know about massive fan i sort of uh taylor swift's uh you know within the within the realm of pop is is is, is kind of cool i guess um, her new stuff is supposed to be quite woodsmany. She sort of disappeared into to a cabin and 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 which I don't know comes across as very authentic when it's Taylor Swift and <laughs> you know they're like uh, her sort of compatri- compatriots as woodsmen are people like the guys from Mumford and Sons doing backing backing <laughs> vocals and stuff. It's not you know it's not I'm not getting a sort of like pioneering sort of Oregon trailblazing kind of a <laughs> kind of a kind of vibe there um i haven't listened to her to the to the newest one so though so i don't have too much of a take on the album itself have you listened to the old one the the second the penultimate album well i thought i'd just listen to the new one and then i'd basically get both of them in one so that's fine <laughs> chris do you have any takes on on taylor swift like, you don't strike me as being a taylor swift fan yeah i'm not i think what you might not hear in the show after the edit is after John asking us, there was about a 14, maybe 15 minute pause <laughs> when, when neither of us offered anything Taylor Swift related and we were busy doing some research there. Uh, so hopefully that's been edited out. Chris had to Google who she was. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you a bit of a music snob, Chris? Um, I'm trying to get over that phase. I think I probably was in days past. Um, I went through a phase where I was trying to see a band that began with every letter of the alphabet live <laughs> at different times. And I eventually finished that off in a slightly cheating way. And Phil was there at the time, so he would probably tell this story better. But we saw the XX as my last band with X as the... So I used that as a sort of cheat for to pick up X. That was the 26th letter. So you're counting the as, as T? Uh, I'm counting the as ignoring. And right, okay. X, the XX counts as an X for me, uh, just so I could finally finish that phase of my life. If you ignore the word the, does that mean that the the don't actually start with a letter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're Did a, you start with the the? <laughs> they're a kind of Easter egg in this process. 
So, so who did you have for like Zed? Zunzunegui, uh, Zola Jesus. Uh, who else? Oh, you've got loads. I don't know off the top of my head, but a few, yeah. Huh. Uh, Q was quite difficult as well. We went to see Muse at um, Tinmouth and a homecoming gig, and I was way more excited about the fact that the Quails were supporting <laughs> than I was about seeing Muse because I'd already seen them maybe three times at that point. Uh, <laughs> but it was a, a new letter experience for me. That's quite quite a cool way of, of I suppose, organising your musical gig schedule. Um, <laughs> why, why did you come up with that idea? Was there was there no idea? Few... I imagine it was one of those conversations you have late at night in a pub when you realize you're quite close to achieving something and then it becomes <laughs> a uh, it becomes a kind of life mission at that stage i know guys who've done that with like the fa cup so they'll they'll go to like the first round of the fa cup they'll pick a random team and then they'll follow the winner of every game from there on in oh, and I nice think, i think that eventually becomes a bit of a mission um well i suppose it starts off harder but then i think it probably becomes harder to get tickets like when it's when you're trying to get to the final and stuff so yeah that would be a super irritating one not to be able to complete right you get all the way through to the final <laughs> yeah. and you can't get which tickets. is like the easy good game to see right quote yeah. unquote but this reminds me of sort of back in the days when people actually had libraries of music stored on their computer to listen to and having to decide whether or not you'd uh You'd organise, would you put numbers at the beginning, at the end? Are the XX with the T's? Are they, you know, uh, now it doesn't, uh, now just uh, now just Jeff Bezos decides what you listen to and, and you just, you're just you just thankful <laughs> for whatever you get. <laughs> We're just vehicles, aren't we, really? Yeah. We are vehicles for, for whatever's going to make money. Um, one of my friends this morning actually was telling me about how his girlfriend's family made him walk up Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, and he took like, he took it, he had, a, I think he had some kind of, maybe a, uh, an iPod or something that he was going to take, but then forgot it. And so all he had the whole week going up Mount Kilimanjaro was a Young Thug album, um, <laughs> which I just thought was, was quite funny. But he's he's desperate for me to do a cover of, of this Young Thug song because we, my friendship group and I have this thing where, we we will we we game quite a lot. We'll play quite a lot of Rocket League together as a group at the moment, just because there's nothing else to do, and and they will sing songs to me that I've not heard, and then get me to reinterpret the songs. <laughs> so I've just done a version of Dancing Like a Stripper, I believe it's called. Um, so if, if anyone is interested in that, there is a there is a, a very much indie version of that rocking around the internet at the moment. Is, do you mean the the Ray Shremard song Somebody Come Get Her? Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think it might be dancing like a stripper in right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I have a lot more takes on Young Thug than I do about Taylor Swift actually. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, but uh, I guess before this becomes uh, a music podcast, which uh, you know, I'm sure we, there's room in this there's room in this wonderful medium for us to talk about music. But John, are you linking us into the Premier League now? For 10 minutes, then? Is <laughs> I think that we the, should uh... now talk about the Premier League. No, what I think we should do is we should. I, I, at this point, I usually say Phil has a quiz, and Phil does have a quiz, but Phil isn't here. But Phil has <laughs> sent me a couple of voice messages, so I'm going to play these voice messages, and we'll we'll find out what the quiz what in te- is in, entails. Can I, in advance of this, just get on record that this is not going to work? <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> of the European cities that have hosted the Chess Olympiad since 1927, which of them also contain a football club in UEFA's top 100? So his contain is the letters thing, uh, rather than they're actually from the... I think that must be physically have a club in in a city, because I doubt there's many cities which contain, like, Atletico Madrid <laughs> in its entirety. Yeah, now I think that through. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's my first guess, by the way. So you were right about us already messing it up. Um, but from what I can understand, the quiz is this. There are a number of cities which, since 1927, I believe, have, have hosted the Chess Olympiad. And the question is, how many of those cities have football teams <laughs> that are in the top 100 in the world? Is that right? UEFA's. UEFA's, UEFA's top 100. Yeah. Yeah. Always got to be football, bloody hell. Yeah, well... Can we come back to this at the end, or are we going <laughs> to yes, do it straight I, off? We'll do this right at the end. So I don't know if I'm going to participate. I'm going to play as Phil in this one, because I think it will maybe make it um, a little bit more uh, uh, easy to <laughs> easy to manage. But I thought you'd been in training for this week. Last week you gave me some big words about your training for future quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, this is this is to be fair is probably a well. I mean, apart, apart from the fact I couldn't name you a single city with any seriousness um, that has held, hosted the the Chess Olympiad since 1927, this is pretty much in my in my ballpark. I would have thought as a as a quiz. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. Anyway, he sent me an email which I'll, I'll have to dig out later. But that gives you you and Robin and uh, the listener a good long time to have a think about it. I've actually, um, I'm using a copy of Irving Chernev's The Most Instructive Games Ever Played as a mouse mat at the moment. So I could just have a, le- it just, it's got 60 games in here, all with a location. So I'll just be <laughs> going to be guessing all of these. Nice. It's going to be like Reykjavik and stuff like that though, isn't it? San Sebastian. Oh. I don't even know where that is. Uh, it's Spain. I played a tournament there. Real Sociedad playing yeah, San they Sebastian. Do. And the, oh, there we go. the chess club is right next to the Real Sociedad Stadium. So you can uh, we played a tournament there and it was on match day and you could hear when they scored, fireworks went off just outside and everyone's <laughs> jumped in their seats <laughs> as we're in the middle of a round. Uh, so an excellent chess club hmm. in San Sebastian. Well, there we go. Presumably the chess club fire fireworks every time someone takes on Passant. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, actually. Like, what If you were to have fireworks for a chess, for a, like, the World Championship is being played... Magnus Carlsen is playing against, um, who should we say, Jan Nepomnici. <laughs> what are the moments at which you have you have five fireworks tranches? Under promotion, it's got to be a firework. <laughs> Under promotion. <laughs> Carlsen goes for a night. And, uh... This actually reminds me of uh, occasionally when I'm uh, bored, like, struggling to get to sleep or something like that, this Chess Cities thing. Have you have you done any questions on um, on openings named after plate like countries and cities? Ooh. Trying to think about sort of prominent European countries which don't have a chess opening named after them or like a city contained in them um, would maybe be a quite a good one to do for you guys to do another time. So work your way sort of from west to east in Europe and try and find countries that don't have a, uh, a chess opening. Or mm. Portugal, I'm guessing. Is there a Portuguese the por- the, the, There's a Portuguese gambit, I think. Yeah. Wow. Um, in like D4 lines. Um I don't know if you can have, like, the Baltic defence. Does that count for Estonia, <laughs> Latvia and Lithuania? So are we just going to sack off Phil's quiz immediately? Or do this one instead? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I haven't tried to usurp, but this is it. This is it. You've given me a, a, a foothold. Okay. So you'll never hear from Phil again. So in, the, in, this, in this world of um, nationalised openings, is the Scotch technically counted as for scotland is that is that allowed here yeah yeah the scotch i think is, is scottish is there, there's not a welsh opening is there although there is the evans gambit which i guess kind of counts and you've got the dragon yeah that's true hmm interesting what about irish is there an irish opening uh, there's irish pawns aren't there where you get tripled pawns the irish pawn center yeah if you get three pawns on the same file 
My favourite porn thing is when you get one porn and then a porn of the opposite colour and then another porn and then a, another porn of the opposite colour in the middle. I was like that. I think it's called the Mackenzie, isn't it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> the, the, the interwoven porn lattice. <laughs> That's right. Right, let's move on before we spend the whole time talking about hypothetical quizzes and, and, and rambling. Let's pretend that there is some semblance of structure in this in this podcast. Um, we need to talk about Vacon Zay. Um Robin, do you want to talk about this? Because I think you actually, the of, of the three of us, you're probably the one who's taken the most notice of what's going on. So do you want to give us a sort of rough overview of what, what's been happening? Yeah, so it's quite tight at the moment. I think a lot of players clumped on sort of two and a half out of four now after round four um, yesterday as of time of recording. Um, I think quite a, quite a few people sort of chiming in, just saying sort of uh, classical chess is not yet dead. Um, I think it's uh, it's been it's been really nice to have sort of longer play games um, back, and there's been some quite nice attacking stuff. There was an absolutely bonkers game yesterday. Um, I think it was Tari versus uh, Ferruja, um, where Ferruja sacked an exchange um, in a uh, in a Karakhan, in an advanced Karakhan position, and and sort of got a mind-boggling tactical. Uh, tactical position on the board um, they ended up drawing actually I think only because sort of Tari offered a draw uh, uh, and I think both players were sort of almost uh, almost happy to, to get away with it I think um, but yeah so the, the standard of like the, the standard of sort of how exciting the chess has been has been has, has been really high um, have you have you caught much of it at all you two or yeah, I've been following a little bit. So I saw Neil Scrandelius get off to a racing start winning his first two. And then he lost one as white against the French, um, which I enjoyed in uh, round three, I think, straight after that. So that gave me some some little ideas. I sort of I always check out the openings each time and see if anything gets played in anything that I currently play. And the answer is usually no. So this is nice to see, see a top-level French. Uh, it's interesting that you're mentioning the um, classical chess being well, healthy, well and healthy. I was I was trying not to get a spoonerism there. I'm sure I did it, but I, I'm, I'm yeah. My brain is fried, so they're not hell and wealthy, well and healthy. Um, I, I watched a, a video yesterday talking about the uh, the Jeff Bezos algorithm death that we live in. I ended up on a video of uh, Magnus Carlsen talking about uh, the Queen's Gambit, and um, yeah, it, allegedly it was him going through and talking about his favourite scenes, but. In, in effect it was just Magnus talking about things uh, and he was he was talking about how he was a little bit worried about the future of classical chess because he he wonders whether or not the present moment is just generating a huge amount of uh, youngsters who are just going to be really good at speed chess and, and classical chess will probably fall fall beneath the wayside so with that in mind does does Vake show that that classical chess is is doing really well. Do we think that there will be uh, a big audience that is that is sort of tuning in who usually play speed chess to follow this, or do we think that we're, what we're going to see in chess is going to be almost like a divergence between like people who like classical chess and people who like speed chess, and and never the twain shall meet? What's, what's your take on that? I can imagine there being a bit of a dichotomy that because. You're, it's not really so spectator friendly. You haven't got the same kind of action, like with the best will in the world. And uh, our, our man, Mr. Jan Gustafsson, is amazing at this. He can keep your interest and keep giving all sorts of... He's an amazing commentator for this. But I think you you go through those quite long phases where it feels like there's a sort of manoeuvring phase in between the openings and the time scramble bit where you're, that three hours is probably condensed into maybe 15 20 minutes of stuff that you're is really sort of uh great from a spectating perspective um so it's a slightly different feel i think i think having a having a whole tournament 
on the go at once sort of mitigates that somewhat certainly now especially with everyone sort of working from home if you, you're doing some work and you've got it on the background you can hop between sort of what games yeah. you're kind of eyeing up so even if the, the broadcast might focus sort of more on one game they'll they'll often sort of do a tour around the different boards and you'll get some games where there's more going on than others at any given moment I think it's harder when you get to something from like like the world championship for example where you're just staring at one game over a really it should be the sort of peak and what's most exciting the most exciting game of chess you can sort of see it obviously only happens every couple of years and it's for the sort of top prize but then you do have those sort of you know if if if, if someone you know i remember the moments in the last world championship caravan drop into a sort of 40 minute thing and even even yeah people like gustafsson and Svidler struggle to uh struggle yeah. to sort of uh straw that it's, it's, it's nice to have gustafsson actually back on the chess 24 broadcast the, that's been good to see he has a sort of uh Tanya Sakdev and, uh, and Peter Lecker are both really good commentators, I think. But they are uh, they're both sort of almost like too enthusiastic about chess, and everything's very <laughs> sincere and earnest. Whereas younger Staffson's sort of slightly more dry, um, sort of sarcastic. Watch a little clip of him having a go at. Uh, I think it was it was one of the Russians. I think it might have been Esipenko's game with White, where he um, Jan described it as like watching the Hamburg under tens. Uh, his take on the uh, his take on the opening but he's like I'm sure it's good but it looks to me like it was a game from the Hamburg under 10s um, yeah it's funny isn't it I guess that, that chess is maybe going to face the same sort of issue that cricket faced when you know the you have this sort of marquee version of the game which is long form uh, and then you're constantly battling with this notion that you have to be more popular you have to be more marketable and you have to be able to pick up uh, I, and I, I don't know whether or not I even agree with this but this notion that, that always comes out is that that we're getting shorter and shorter attention spans and so you need to cater for that by um by making your your form of, of of gameplay shorter and shorter, and I'm not I'm not sure what I think about this because I mean one of the things that for example I've been trying to do a lot more recently is 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 now that we're in lockdown is just get more reading done, and when I was a child I used to just read for ages on end you know you didn't have like access to computers you like didn't have unmitigated access to like watching or the tv you wanted clean to drinking water or modern medicine <laughs> or electricity you grew up and... in the favelas <laughs> <laughs> uh, but back then it was it was so easy to to read and now you sort of like now i read things and i have to force myself i'm going to start this chapter and end this chapter without looking at my phone and it's it's harder than i would like to admit you know that sort of gut response that you, you just automatically want to flick to and it's not even like there's anything that I want to see on my phone it's just like it's just that fear of FOMO that you you get where you sort of like oh that this thing exists out there and I need to do it and um but but at the same time I think you know there's a sense in which I think you can probably if you can if your brain can be trained one way your brain can be trained the other way right is is that is that fair to say it's all about sort of from my basic knowledge of studying a tiny bit of neuroscience during my degree it's so, it's all about you develop sort of like pathways and stuff for like uh, you you sort of reinforce behaviors in your brain by doing them a lot and so i think certainly you can do it both ways but i think obviously things which are sort of more instant gratification are going to be you know is is that sort of little kind of i don't know dopamine hit or whatever you just sort of check phone uh, sort of look away from screen to look at other smaller screen and <laughs> things like that you find out I mean I guess if I was receiving all the sort of exciting messages John was I'd probably uh, <laughs> get, any, uh, get any reading done either but uh... well, I guess that kind of brings us sort of into the the concept of, of adult learning right in the sense that um, one thing that I, I was I listened to um, 
uh, Perpetual Chess the other day, Ben Johnson's podcast, because Johnny Bryant was on it. Um, Jonathan Bryant, I should say. I don't know if he takes the, the name Johnny, but there we go. I've just given it to him. JB, um, he was talking about how uh, what a lot of people don't say on these in, in these sorts of adult improvement uh, phenomenon mediums is that you don't you just have to put hard work in, right? A lot of it is to do with just sitting at a board, playing through games, learning openings, learning end games, and there's no amount of trickery that can get you around that. It's just it's time consuming, it's hard work, it's probably often boring. I say because I've I've, I've never really done it. You've got to go through these long plateaus as well, where you just have to trust that it's going to come good as well, that you put in all of these hours and you don't necessarily see the progress for quite a long time. Yeah, it's tough. Time is, I've got a note down here that time is like the, is the most important resource that you have in, in, in sort of, if you want to, I mean, this, this is sort of a cliche, but in anything, you just have to sort of put in, put in work to get better. What you're saying about, I think this is the plateaus thing. I think it, yeah, you need sort of a level of resilience. I think with chess, you have to understand both, both on sort of the long term, in that you're, you know, you'll see, you know, moments where you feel like, oh wow, I suddenly feel like I'm seeing the game better, and you, you know, maybe your rating will jump or whatever. But then at times it does really feel like you're sort of putting in the work and not, and not improving. And I think both in those situations, and also just when you play badly or you, you know, you make a mistake in the game, I think you have to, both in the short term and long term, really have to just not take it too personally or, or, or sort of look at it as time wasted um i think to that sort of yeah resilience and and sort of getting balanced getting kind of getting the right level of feeling competitive about chess i think is is, is good as well obviously you have to have a desire to win when you're sat at the board because that's what's going to sort of drive you to find the right move or to drive you to put time in to get better but at the same time, if you're too competitive, the, the sort of fear of losing or the sort of getting put off because you you you, you make a blunder and, and just sort of giving up the ghost because, oh, that's it, I've not played this game perfectly and therefore what's the point? There's a big one of those when you're getting close to, if you've set yourself rating goals, as soon as you get close and you're hovering around that kind of peak <laughs> yeah. rating that you want, it becomes all you think about during your game. And it's very hard to shut that voice off and start focusing on your actual chess and not thinking about what this is doing to your lifetime best and all this sort of stuff. Mm. What we should do is we should get Robin to just talk a little bit about his chess journey. Um, because because Robin's someone that you played, you played when you were quite young, didn't play much for a long time, and then you've come back to it in the last couple of years. And I think you've had a really, you've had a really good trajectory in terms of uh, your improvement. So just talk, talk us through that your sort of your your chess timeline. Yeah, so I mentioned it before. Um, I played a like a, a bit, quite a bit at primary school, not in a very structured way. There was a chess club at my school, and so I would go every Wednesday after school and play some chess. But I didn't have any concept of opening theory or really any like te- I could you know mate with a queen and king and stuff like that. But I'd never been sort of formally taught. You know, this is the opening I play. I just sort of would sit down on the board and sort of play what I felt. Who run that chess club? Was that a sort of just a school teacher doing it as a? unstructured thing yeah yeah it was uh it was it was the it teacher i think okay a guy called mr scott shout out to mr scott yeah there. shout out my uh my mr scheibel i guess obviously you can't go on a chess podcast without referencing the queen's gambit no <laughs> but then i went to i went to secondary school and, and there wasn't really about the time when i think i guess you you know i probably would have been keen to play i always enjoyed the game and i was i was, I was good at it i think for relative to how much I played and 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 how much teaching I'd had and that's sort of the age I feel like where you you kind of kick on with with those sorts of things and it just it just didn't really happen so I sort of I didn't uh so I didn't really keep playing until uh, while I was at um 
while I was at, at uni, I sort of dabbled a little bit, played a bit of Blitz and stuff, and that's where that's where John and I sort of first met. And he sort of played. We played a few games, but again, very sort of a, in a very unstructured manner. And again, I still sort of couldn't sort of couldn't tell you at that time what sort of the Sicilian defence was, for example. Uh, and then uh, it's sort of just through John getting more into chess. Right at the beginning of, of this year or end of last year, John went and played at four NCL once, I think. And then sort of the next time around, there was a, 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 a they needed another player. And he was like, well, why don't you just come along and play? And so I sort of um, picked it up, picked it up from there. And then so it was quite fortunate timing wise. Obviously, a lot of people have got into chess um, due to COVID. And I had a little bit of a head start. I had sort of for a few months before then sort of, you know, re- like started learning. It's so obviously there's been a lot of time and an and, and opportunity to sort of improve. And so, yeah, I've just really uh, gone on from there. In terms of like your rough rating, you've sort of, how would you just, I, I know it's not important to really talk about that, but to give people a sense, like in the last year, what would you say your, your differential in rating has, has been? Yeah. So when I, um, when I started, uh, when I sort of, so I, I joined a club, I joined Hammersmith and I was given an estimated grade, of, I think around 80 when I started. Um, so what's that in a, what's that in new money? Uh, you'll have to edit <laughs> out of silence question. here. Eight times, well, eight, eight, 80 times 75 is, uh, is 600 plus 700. So 1300, um, I would guess. Um, and I would say that I would probably have gone up, I don't know, to maybe some, we're fifteen to sixteen hundred, maybe. I've gotten some results. Um, I, I sort of probably my best result in an overboard game was uh was sort of during the the break between lockdown. I played a rated inter club game against a one forty something or one fifty player and got a win there. So um so which is which is nice and I've got some decent scalps at that sort of rating range. Um, but uh but sort of that's with a lot of time. So I guess yeah, maybe sort of thirty ECF something like that 30 to 40 ECF and maybe uh but obviously the 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 beginning bit is the easiest bit right yeah it's diminishing returns <laughs> you uh yeah each subsequent 100 points is so much harder to gain than the previous was like robin says he he and i started roughly the same sort of time and um he, you've always been a better player than me i think but at, at first i would give you a good game and these days you you just absolutely hammer me so there's like there's there's been an obvious um upward trajectory from you and um um i i guess the what 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 people are always interested in and i'm keen for this to not be sort of like a self-help podcast or anything but i think people are always people are always interested in hearing the the sort of things that helped other people to to improve so i wondered if you had any thoughts on on that sort of aspect of of improvement yeah i mean so again there's there's, i don't know how much sort of completely new information i can shed light on this there's plenty of you know obviously books and 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 you mentioned perpetual chest as a great adult improver series and stuff so i mean the amount of time you can devote to it is, is is so key um and you know you're sort of both both in terms of how much time you have free of other activities and also how much sort of how much you are time that you want to devote to it because it's a cliche to say it's only it's only sort of you should only really be doing it if you're finding it fun or you feel like you're getting something out of it and so um but i've been quite lucky so i mentioned i joined a club and that it's it's sort of hammersmith chess club is really great um and they're sort of it's it's been really helpful having sort of a community there both uh, you know i've done uh, one of a, a another 
chess teacher Jim Stevenson who teaches professionally in, in schools and, and the like he uh, he's sort of done quite a lot of free teaching with a, with a few people at the club I spent quite a lot of time working with him and so that's obviously obviously been really helpful and sort of spent time looking over games and, um, and talking about things there so having a so so again I think the, the probably the best way to improve it is joining a club I think is really important if you want to take chess seriously I'd say um, I think yeah trying to I think also working with others. So especially recently, I've um, I've, I've sort of me and a guy, I, uh, another guy from 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 Hammer, um, Jeremy, uh, we we've spent quite a lot of time sort of working together, and I think it's helpful having a sort of peer kind of pushing you to get better. It's much easier to commit to sort of put in time to you know work through a book or something like that if you're if you sort of have made a commitment not just yourself but to another person. You know if we put in a couple of hours to 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 work through you know study study end games or something, it's it's much harder to say oh maybe I'll just actually watch a film, have a beer instead of, of playing chess. So I think sort of kind of almost sort of forcing yourself to do it by sort of work and it's more fun as well. Um, again, it's, it, it feels a uh, you know, sometimes it can be when you're, you know, you're skimming through a through through a book and you you see sort of all these variations laid out from sort of sort of some some deviate line that could deviate if a different move was played. It's much easier to sort of push yourself to look through all of them, really understand what's going on if there's someone with you. Whereas, oftentimes, otherwise, you will uh, you will just skip through. Um, and then all the usual standard stuff. You know, take time analyzing your own games. I think that. Understanding where your specific problems in chess lie, I think, is really, really critical because it's so it's such a multifaceted game, and people are also good at different components of it. Um, uh, that 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 really helps. So even shorter games. Do you have a sense of that at the moment about the areas that you feel are your personal strengths and weaknesses at the moment? Uh, yeah, I would I would say to agree. I think obviously because I haven't, while I did play a bit when I was younger, I haven't sort of, I'm I'm never going to have the sort of like tactical sort of like calculation ability of someone who plays a lot of chess quite seriously from a from a sort of really young age um my uh so so that and sort of board vision i really struggle to hold a position in my mind when i'm trying to trying to calculate it and those are obviously sort of more difficult thing you can't really so just read that or, or come across that as an idea you have to really sort of put in the work to get quite meager returns there um and i would say also probably just um this is sort of a bit more intangible but uh uh, perhaps a bit less tangible would be a better way of saying that. Um, but um, but ma- match play itself, I think sort of differentiating playing lots of games online, which maybe don't mean as much to you versus sort of sitting down across the board. Um, just the mindset that you go into that is, is, is very different sort of the, and because we haven't had the opportunity to do that nearly as much in the last year. So I would have, you know, had it not been the, had it not been for COVID, I would like to think I would have played in a lot of, you know, you know, played in London league and similar and, and, and sort of gone to tournaments and stuff, but without the opportunity to do that, all the online games sort of feel the same. Um, and yeah. so having like match play experience, I think is, 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 is helpful. Yeah, definitely. I can empathize with that I stalled I was playing maybe 60 to 80 games a season for the previous mm. two or three and then this year I've managed I managed one tournament in the summer and did horribly uh, <laughs> and that was my 2020 chess experience that's when you had some bad results against children wasn't it yeah yeah we, we obviously all can't all be good against children um. <laughs> <laughs> that's true I should have should have reached out to you John before each round <laughs> learned the secret <laughs> It's the uh, taking the shirt off and running around the hall, yeah, once, nice. waving it around your head that that makes the difference. You've got to demoralise them completely. <laughs> um, that's the long game, you know. You you sort of pick them off when they're young, just 
make them just hate chess and then and then eventually there'll be no one left and you will by default be the best chess player in the world so um yeah that no that's really that's really really interesting um uh robin i i it's it's funny what you say about about well i mean talking about being demoralized and you talking about plateaus chris because i find that my my problem is that i get i'll get really into chess for like a month and then play a game lose badly and just be like oh well that was a waste of time and then not do anything for a month and then go through that cycle again and um that it becomes it becomes quite a it becomes quite a regular thing for me so and i think part of the problem for me is that like i play a lot of people who are just much better than me and so i go through like phases of just feeling like i never win um, which I don't think is helpful. And then when I do win, I feel as though it's just a cheap win because the person who I've played against is so bad and I can see like the obvious errors in their game. So I guess I'm, I'm sort of caught in that moment where I'm like, this isn't quite okay chess yet. And so it doesn't feel like it counts. But when I do play against people who play okay chess, they beat me every time. So. I, 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 the problem is those you, is, chess isn't a game where good players only make good moves and bad players make bad moves right like I mean an engine would quantify it as like centre pawn loss or, or, or whatever and the way that you improve at chess is reduce, reduce the sort of incre- increase the sort of average quality of your moves and so what that you know that obviously part of that is playing fewer blunders and, and playing more sort of like like ideal moves in a set of circumstances but if you reduce it to just your sort of your kind of your chess ability to the worst moves that you play then you're 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 never going to improve because ultimately, however good you'll get you'll get, you're still going to play. You know, at some point, play a very bad move. But it, it, so if you if you look at it in that sort of extreme light, then it would be it would be impossible to prove. I mean, we've seen shorter time controls. Even Carlson blundered a whole rook against Anish Giri, and Ding Loren dropped his queen in you know a couple of the online games last year and stuff like that. And a Ding, you know, Ding Loren's not that Fide are not going to just say, "Oh, Ding Loren's not in the you know top 100 in the world anymore now because he's because <laughs> he's done that." So um, there should be scope for that, though, shouldn't there? If you make the move yeah. bad enough to just be like, "Right, you're just going to get," we've kicked seen out. enough. Strip you of your titles, yeah, and then you've got to get back in there. So yeah, just exiled just by other players. Just go on strike, won't play against you. You brought the game, in, <laughs> bringing the game into disrepute by playing the French defense. Well, quite. <laughs> It's interesting what you, it ties in a little bit to what you said about the existential battle that chess might have between sort of longer and shorter time controls. I think that I'm one of the people who thinks that there is certainly at a certain level of value from playing a lot of quicker games just to sort of see positions over and over again in your mind. As long as you do sort of take a look at the sort of sort of instructive ones and and do some spend some time doing that, I think there is value to 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 playing uh, playing sort of quicker time controls, but at the same time, I, I'll, the way to get good at chess, I think, is is to play better moves. And the only way that you have time to sort of really engage with a position and try and find the best move consistently is to play in longer time controls. So I feel like at the top level of chess, you're never going to get chess players who are going to be top in the world. You know, world. Not, you're never going to get a world class blitz player who's just not played classical chess because you still have to. In when you're at that level, in even playing in a sort of three-minute time control, you still have to understand the positional and strategic aspects of the games. And, so, and as a result, if you only play quick chess, you're never going to get the opportunity to sort of really see those deep ideas. And so if you don't have the attention span to play chess at long time controls, you're certainly not going to have the attention span to study chess for the length of time it takes to reach the top. Because there's something here about intuition, isn't there? That you, when you look at a position, what you instinctively want to do, quite a lot of that is 
pre-verbal like you couldn't really explain it to somebody yeah. but you sort of understand you've got these ideas of pattern recognition that you're right you have to develop in a slightly different format that you can't just magically have these revelations during a blitz game and suddenly be able to understand these deep concepts yeah i think pawn breaks are often quite like that right you just need to sort of sometimes the more you play pawn breaks the more it sort of you it feels like this is the right break into to, to play in this position and 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 when to play it um so i guess there is a level to that and and perhaps you know you will I, I, perhaps what I've just said is completely wrong and you'll just get players who will just have a sort of, by just playing just very quickly, will just have an innate sort of understanding of of of, 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 of what would be seen as a deeply positional move. Um, I don't know though. I mean, even, even you know, you look at an Alan Reza Ferruja type, obviously he's not, you know, he's 17 now and been playing long chess, long play chess for a long time. But I don't know in 10 years time, will you get a, you know, grandmasters who've never, you know, barely ever sat down and played a classical game? Surely not. And I guess one final question then would be about the future. So um, we we did a, a section on chess solutions um, this year, early earlier this year, um, and I wondered what you what you how you're sort of like structuring the next year. Do you have like any goals that you're trying to reach, and and how are you looking at the the year as a sort of union in that sense? Um, I think the, the the rating goal can be is a bit dangerous, partly because also again, sort of until sort of properly over the board chess comes back, it's hard to say how much time you're going to have to play in those sort of. Uh, those sorts of games but um i think uh perhaps get finish some of the chess books that i have purchased and started i think would probably be a, a good one sort of a finish i don't know finish at least x number of of uh of of, of chess books um I, I i i don't know i think i would uh my, my new year's re- resolution in terms of chess is perhaps just at the end of the year to look back and be happy on the progress that i've made in 2021 i know that sounds like a bit of a cop-out and also sounds like a bit of a sort of kumbaya answer but um, <laughs> you know but yeah maybe i don't know yeah it's to beat uh beat chris right you know, in a game that's it that's the resolution <laughs> how do you feel about that chris uh i'm excited about the we've we're setting up for the challenge now we'll we'll have a match on december the 31st or whatever and <laughs> As long as Chris is playing white. Um, I've got plans, but on. on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's move on because we have arrived at that point of the podcast that actually everyone tunes in for. We all know it. The rest of the the rest of the podcast is just a sham. Um, But we soldier on and we we put all of the accoutrements around it. But this is the, uh, the moment that everyone is waiting for. It's the high point of the Chess Pit podcast. It is, in fact, Chris Tree, in which, in which Chris Russell gives us casts his eye over the history of chess and, and pulls out some tidbits. So what have you got for us this week? So this week was the 242nd anniversary of the birth of someone who is loosely linked to chess. 242nd? Yes. That's quite a long time ago, isn't it? Loosely linked to chess. So, the... so it's going to be something about... He is best known as the author of a thesaurus. Roger? Yes, huh. Roger is um, sort of also known for a couple of little chess bits and pieces that we'll go through for a second. Huh. But I wanted, I, it, now I think about the thesaurus, I was talking earlier about the lists of bands. Maybe there's some kind of chess and lists link here. John, are you a list man? Uh, no. But okay. I, I don't know whether or not I'd describe myself as a chess man either. So right, that sure. doesn't mean that the correlation and the causality isn't isn't linked more explicitly. Robin, what about you? Um, oh, well, I'm just about to ask if uh, if if in his thesaurus he lists castle and rook next to each <laughs> <laughs> I possibly shouldn't re- reignite that. Chris, how how do you mean list man? Sorry. So are you one of those people who's sort of keeping top tens of films and? Uh, 
TV shows and throwing all these sorts of... Do you, do you see life through the lens of lists? Sort of like I'm the main character in High Fidelity. Quite. <laughs> um, yeah. Or the Truman Show. <laughs> loosely speaking, uh, I would say I like to think of things in terms of, you know... Uh, uh, these, but probably I don't. I don't. You know, I don't have it written down anywhere. I guess my sort okay. of top ten favorite. I, I've probably got twenty top ten films, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you're on your own here, Chris. Okay, so returning back to Roger, he was something of a sort of chess hobbyist, essentially. That he one of his claims to chess fame is that he designed an early pocket chess set, which he called the Economic Chessboard. Um, and I, I can picture back when I was traveling to junior tournaments, I'd take my tiny little pocket set with me and I'd like on the train, I'd be playing some practice games. And this feels very quaint now, now that I'm describing it to you guys. Did you ever own a pocket chess set? Either of you guys? Or is, I guess if you come to chess quite late, there's your phone Phones, sort of replaces yeah. that. I remember having like one with the little, uh, I've had like a possibly a small magnetic one. Yeah, yeah. Um, with those little slidey, slidey pieces. Yeah. yeah, that's quite nice. Um, and he's also composed and solved some chess problems as well. So he published a solution to the Knight's Tour problem in the London and Edinburgh Philosophical Magazine and Journal. And I wasn't quite sure of the link there. Uh, but do you know the Knight's Tour problem, either of you guys? Yeah. Go on, Robin. How does it work? So basically you start with a knight. I don't know. I can't remember if the knight starts on a specific square, but you're attempting to navigate to every board on the uh, every square on the board um, only once. So Edward Winter found the article in question and it's, it's online and it's uh, somewhat, I, I sort of began reading it and then lost a little interest. But what I did like about it was there were loads of very uh, nice diagrams with these knights hopping around everywhere. So he came up with a variety of different solutions to this problem that have been knocking around for about 100 years at that point. I don't believe his were the first solutions, but he sort of came up with a structured way of, of solving this problem. It's one of those kind of party tricks, isn't it, where you can construct the the knight's tour that some chess players have put in the hours and know how to do this and could could show you how to knight's tour i'm not not amongst those presumably it's dead easy to just model it now on a computer yeah i'd imagine so there's probably some kind of quick quick one that you could learn as well it's probably a two-minute youtube job that i just didn't do (laughs) (laughs) there is like a mathematical um right back into this have you ever seen the puzzle it's much simpler puzzle where you just have to draw like the small house with the cross in the middle without taking your pen it's a very yeah it's like a very sort of a it's like a similar thing you you have to start on a square which is which has got an even number of access points on it because you're going to sort of start and end like to depending if you're going to try and start and end on the same place um obviously you can't go onto anything which has got an odd number of points to it and because you go onto it and then you need to come, come off it in. again but then you'd never be able to take the same same route and stuff a computer would look at that and solve it instantaneously now but i don't think i've ever successfully done the knight's tour so maybe that could be my chess solution for <laughs> right perfect an unassisted knight's tour so i'd recommend reading the 1840 london and edinburgh philosophical magazine and journal <laughs> as your first resource there that's actually under my uh irving chernev mouse mouse <laughs> Any anything else on Roger? And I, I'm I'm surprised that he's he was a chess dude. I, I would I, I thought I would have heard about that if that had happened. But here we are, learning a new thing every day. There we go. That's a great point to end the Christmas. <laughs> would you say that Roger is your favourite writer of a thesaurus? I would. I, I strongly <laughs> would. Yes. Good. Uh, right. Who wants a silly question? Go for it. So I'm I'm going to revert to form, which is whenever we have a guest on, I ask them the question: If your life was an opening. What would it be and why? So, Robin, if your life was an opening, what would it be and why? Yeah, so I, uh, 
I sort of wanted to go with a, a sort of a, a flippant answer here, like the, the Janish Gambit, but not the good Janish Gambit, which is sort of like the black equivalent to the Queen's Gambit, but the other Janish Gambit, which is just, uh, which is the response 1B5 to C4, which uh, several uh, several remarks I've seen is just that it uh, gives away a pawn for zero compensation for black. <laughs> nice. So that's my... Uh, that's uh, that's my life. I've just given and given and given and got nothing in return. <laughs> in terms of your opening, like, what are you largely playing at the moment? Because I know that you've you've changed a little bit. You were playing the Karakhan quite a lot, and um, the Queen's Gambit. You switched from the Queen's Gambit to something else for a bit, didn't you? But then I've flirted with a lot of different stuff over over the year. I guess if you're playing a lot of chess, at sort of um, over a short space of time, it's sort of quite nice to introduce variety into into things. So I uh, I played D4 um, stuff as white. Um, Queen's Gambit, or uh, or I play a bit of Catalan. Catalan was going to be my other answer to your uh, to your uh, to your um, to your question about which opening I'd be. Partly because it sounds quite cool to be a sort of I like the idea of being a sort of like left wing separatist <laughs> nice. in, in in beautiful Barcelona. Uh, but also because there's that famous quote about the Catalan, which I'll paraphrase to say that I uh, that I've sort of uh, done nothing for myself and I just give other people problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so default. I've got I've gone back to playing the Sicilian. I just I just feel like it's sort of a if you're if you're going to play chess for enjoyment, I guess you've got to try and, and go for it. Playing the Karakhan is a bit. But I, I, a lot of people swear by. It. I, went, Mar- I heard Maurice Ashley talk about it once before, saying I'm sort of getting all these. You know, I played the Karakhan for ages and ages, and I'd uh, I get good positions out of it, and I'd never get checkmated. But I just found that I just was really bored. So. Uh. <laughs> Without wishing to insult uh, Karakhan players out there, uh, but yeah, so I play the I play uh, I play the, uh, the like the Sveshnikov, which I've seen you as your your uh, your um, game against your against your both of your fans um, <laughs> has gone into a Sveshnikov, uh, and uh, and I uh, and uh, what else do I and what else do I do? Oh, and yeah, and the um, and the Grunfeld against uh, against D four. What would you play against Chris's French? Well, I wouldn't play e4, so I wouldn't get into a French. I wouldn't if he if he played e6 against one d4. I would just go into a probably just go into a Catalan. I think is Chris, is Chris not going to give himself an opening? I have I not answered this question before. I don't remember. Yeah, I, think if I, I have feel like you answer it every time, yeah. but yeah, your opening is obviously the French because it's the only thing you play, right? Yeah, as we've said, like if you play white, you just re- you resign straight up. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Should we do this quiz then? Oh dear. Um. So. Just to remind the listeners, and also myself, because I'm still not entirely sure I got it right the first time, um, of the cities that have hosted the Chess Olympiad since 1927, which of them also contains a football club in UEFA's top 100? I've got the answers in front of me. I can tell you there are 19 answers here. So um, who? we'll start with We'll start with Robin, as he's the guest, and we need Chris to lose. So, Robin. Okay. Well, um, Moscow. Uh, so you need to name a club. That's what we're looking for, the club. Need to name a club. Okay, okay. Um, Spartak Moscow. Uh, wait, what do you want to do? We could do we could do the city or we could do the club. I think it'll be fun. Surely, if we do the clubs, then we're going to get sort of any club that has more than one, more than one of the what more than one team. It sort of makes it a bit easier. Yeah, that's true. Okay, let's do the cities then. That might give us a little bit more of a chance to rack up some points, though. If we did do multi clubs, I, I feel like a, like a higher variance game is going to benefit me here. I feel like if we are with a sort of a larger sample size, your uh, your actual knowledge of chess might uh, win out. Wonderful. All right, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so Moscow is a correct answer. So one nil to Robin. Uh, that was also my top answer on the list of two answers that I've written down during the show. Uh, the one I wanted to try as well was Munich. Munich is an answer, yes. Bayern Munich. Um, Spartak Moscow is, uh, are in the top 100, by the way. Uh, Munich is an answer. Bayern Munich are our team. So, Robin? 
Uh, Belgrade? Belgrade is not on the list, so stays at 1-1. How come? No club in top 100, or, or is it not held in Olympiad? Oh, I have no idea. Sorry. <laughs> Can we call Phil and find out? <laughs> Should we ring him? Phone a friend. <laughs> I'll call Phil. Phil, you've never met me before. but uh... <laughs> And this is crazy. <laughs> Do you want to have a, a guess, Chris? Not really. Because <laughs> I have a very narrow subset of places that I know are Olympiad venues and they're not particularly big cities or well-known football maybe football is the way to go if I just guess a good big football city Um, let's go Barcelona Barcelona is not on my list so it stays at 1-1 Robin back to you okay my mind's got totally blank now Um, Kiev Kiev is not on the list so it remains at 1-1 Chris um Prague? Uh, is on the list, yeah. Oof. So 2 1 to Chris. Slavia Prague and Sparta Prague are in the UEFA top 100. Robin, pull it level. Zagreb? Zagreb is not on the list, so it stays at 2 1. Chris, how many have you got left? Nine. Still plenty of cities. So many. <laughs> uh, when we're scrambling at 2 1. Turin. Turin is a correct answer. 3 1. Juventus playing Turin, and they are in the top 100. Robin, I feel as though we're missing. An obvious one here, I think. I say that, but maybe a couple of obvious ones. Has there ever been an Olympiad in in London? There has, and there are also four teams in London that are in the top 100. So, 3-2. Chris? Milan? Milan is not on the list, so it stays at 3-2. What I would say is, like, think of... Maybe think of chess playing countries might be helpful. Actually, maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not. I want to try and level it up. Budapest. Budapest is not on the list. (sighs) I wonder if Budapest actually has a football team that's that strong now I think of it. There's some interesting places that I wouldn't have thought. Can you give us some countries, maybe? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a list of countries. Greece, Israel, Germany, Turkey, Azerbaijan, <laughs> Poland, Netherlands. I think that's pretty much it. You've got all the clues that you can get. So Baku. Yeah, Baku is one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'll, I'll concede to Chris uh, uh, Chris there. I feel like in the... Uh... In the competitive portion of the game, I was I outmatched feel... there. So, Poland, I was thinking, might be Warsaw. Poland is Warsaw, yeah. I wanted to guess Warsaw, but I wasn't sure about the football part. N- the Netherlands, you should be getting. Yeah, I mean, Rotterdam, Amsterdam. Amsterdam. In, so, Ajax in, in the top 100 and Amsterdam is one. Turkey is uh, Istanbul. Is Greece Thessaloniki? I know that there was chess happened there, but I didn't know the football. Yeah, and so Pauk, or whatever they call it, ah. P-A-O-K. Um, are in the top 100. Tel Aviv in Israel, Maccabi Tel Aviv, and I think that's all of it. Amsterdam, Baku, there was a Istanbul, Germany, oh, Leipzig, one. Germany, Le- Leipzig. Nice. RB Leipzig are in the top um, top 100. Yeah, so Amsterdam, Baku, Istanbul, Leipzig, London, Moscow, Munich, Prague, Tel Aviv, Thessaloniki, and Turin and Warsaw. So well done, and well done to Phil for for giving us the quiz. Sorry for butchering it as badly as we did. But if anything, this should prove that we need Phil back as soon as possible. Phil is currently moving house. So. Get wrecked, Phil. Get wrecked, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> That's what we say. And that brings us, as always, to the end of the podcast. Robin, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And hopefully we'll get you on again as a super sub next time Phil's moving house. Um, have you enjoyed the experience of, 
of of being on a podcast that you've listened to? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, when I agreed to come on, I, I didn't realise Phil wasn't going to be here. I, he was actually the only, I kind of, <laughs> he's definitely my favourite. So that was a shame. So maybe I'll have to come back on again uh, when, when Phil's here. Uh, but no, no, no. I've, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks thanks a lot for having me. And uh, long, long may it continue. Viva la Chespit. And so the usual housekeeping, if you want to find out more about us, then go to your social media platform of choice and search for Chesspit Pod. And if we exist on that platform, we will show up. And finally, thanks to our sponsor, Playfair Capital. Playfair Capital is one of London's leading venture capital funds. And here we are at the end of a, another podcast. So all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Chris. Thanks very much. And thank you to Robin. Cheers. And we'll see you on the other side. Bye.